cuts are blood money. People will die. Black Lives Matter is killing Americans. Republicans want you to die quickly if you get sick. We could stand in the middle of Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and I wouldn't lose any voters. This president has radicalized so many more people than ISIS ever did. Things are going swimmingly in Afghanistan. But we have to pass the bill so that you can uh, find out what is in it. All right, welcome back, everybody, to part two of our episode on gun control. Last time we talked about some of the significant events and statistics that surrounded gun control. And so now this time we're going to talk about the history and what people are saying about gun control. So not going to waste any time. We're just going to get right to it. We'll start in England. And there is a lot from the 1300s on. Most of it is hilarious and sad. But I guess the first significant thing we see is in the British Bill of Rights in 1689, just about a hundred years prior to our Second Amendment, but it definitely was where we got it. And it states that the subjects, which are Protestants, may have arms for their defenses suitable to their conditions and as allowed by law. So right then and there, there's a certain group of people that can have weapons, and it's under the guise of protecting Parliament uh, as a militia, but no one else is allowed this right. And basically, we just lift and shift that law from England to ourselves when in 1791, we ratify the Second Amendment as part of the Bill of Rights. We have the same thing. We're protecting people's ability to bear arms, but we have just a group of people that has that right. And then we have a group of people that we're ignoring. Notably, it's going to be slaves and women. So basically the same thing. Pretty much. And that Second Amendment says a well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed. Can I stop you right there? That is the worst sentence grammatically. (laughs) And it is a run on sentence with just phrases separated by commas. And I think that is why we still have no idea how to interpret it. There's so many things going on with it all at the same time. Well, excuse me. I shouldn't say grammatically incorrect, but there's two ideas in the same sentence like and they jump back and forth to it yeah 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 no absolutely but yeah so really it's it's getting to the root of two two separate things there's a militia that is intended to exist at the state level and then the right of individuals to keep and bear arms and we'll see that there is a lot of uh back and forth about how much of this is referring to one as opposed to the other. And you know what? Actually, just to jump in, reading through all of the gun law from that, um, I don't know, 1300s to the 1700s goes to like, it's so erratic. And I bet all laws are like this in England. And I think it's because that constant toss and tussle between principalities or then whatever the state or crown was at the time. And they like couldn't figure that out. So I think we did a great job figuring that out. (laughs) We did a great job of figuring that out. Well, states versus federal (laughs) and balancing the powers, at least that part. 200 and some odd years later, and we're still trying to figure it all out. (laughs) Subpar job. Um, So really the thought by the founding fathers was that if they armed their citizens and the citizens had a capability to defend themselves that the government wouldn't dare try to infringe on their rights because there was no way that any government military would be able to uh, overwhelm all of the citizens having arms, which at the time I think definitely made sense. But now if you think about it, if you think of the citizens versus the government, I'm pretty sure the government (laughs) would win hands down no matter what because of their capability to access weapons of mass destruction yeah reading it sounds like a different planet altogether from what we're experiencing now so james madison drafted the second amendment and some argue that the fact that in his notes from the 1789 constitutional convention he doesn't mention an individual's right to possess a gun for self-defense or recreational use meaning that wouldn't be his intent amazing that they still have those notes available you think it would solve the intent problem of the constitution we just read all these people's notes and be all set right but clearly it hasn't (laughs) You could say, because of how ambiguous and strange that the amendment sounds, that the First Amendment, which is extremely clear, you you would just hope that Madison uh, just drafted it in such a way where it was just very obvious what the purpose of the amendment was for. Something like, you know, Congress shall make no law prohibiting the right of the people to keep and bear arms. That would be great. (laughs) Right. That would make it very obvious, like freedom of speech or freedom of religion. It's very expressly stated, whereas this kind of 
bounces back and forth between these two different concepts, and it's left up to interpretation, which is the more significant thing, or what did they actually mean? Madison and his yahoos definitely set us up. (laughs) (laughs) The jerks. Also note that this amendment only applies to the federal government. States could still regulate weapons as they see fit. And that's where the 4th and 14th Amendments come in. And that was something that really surprised me because everybody always talks about the Second Amendment when they talk about gun rights. They almost never mention the 4th and 14th Amendments, but frankly, they have just as much, if not more, importance for the individual's right to own a gun, historically speaking. They seem so much more specific, like actually outlining real rules that we can apply as individuals. Yeah, so the Fourth Amendment... Uh, They talk about unreasonable search and seizure. So it's basically saying the right of people to be secure in their persons, houses, papers, and the keyword here, and effects against unreasonable search and seizure shall not be violated. And then the 14th Amendment is due process, saying no state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. So both of those things are what were used as precedent for significant Supreme Court rulings to really create this concept of an individual's right to own and carry a gun, and that even states couldn't restrict this ownership uh, of arms beyond reason. You know, it had been a few years um, since I've looked at this, and Not to display my ignorance, but I genuinely thought that these amendments were just like the headline sentences and then there was more in it. It is just these sentences. There is not much here at all that we're going off of. This is just a summary. You'd think they'd give us some real concrete, put their notes in the actual amendment, maybe. (laughs) Right. So the gun control debate is really centered around the interpretation of these amendments we just read. They seem very ambiguous, as you can can hear, which leaves the Supreme Court to interpret the meaning of it. So the argument around whether the right sits with all individuals in the United States or strictly with militia organizations like the National Guard, the Supreme Court has consistently ruled on the side of gun ownership as a right. In the recent past, because then before that, well, let's just do a lightning round of basically everything that we could see from a historical perspective with gun laws. Now's the right time. So the very first gun law in the United States that we could find was in 1643. There were six colonies that had a law that required at least one adult man in every house to carry a gun to church or other public meetings. So the complete opposite of gun control, they were (laughs) mandating that at least one man carries a gun to any public meeting that they go to uh, for each family, which was really interesting. Church must be a very stressful enterprise at that point. (laughs) And then uh, 1813 was the first gun restriction that we could find where at the state level, Kentucky passed a gun law prohibiting concealed carry. Then 1837, Georgia passes a law banning handguns, but that was actually ruled unconstitutional by the state Supreme Court, and it was thrown out, so that did not become a law. And then it's all the way until 1934, there was the first federal gun control law, the National Firearms Act, which was meant to curtail uh, gang crime of that era, which is I don't want to say great, but it was that, you know, golden age of crime, of organized crime, where I just get this image of some gangster rolling up to a bank with like a Tommy gun and you oh, know, yeah. the old police cars swarming in. So th- this is federal gun control w- law where they started to regulate fully automatic firearms. And then 1938, the Federal Firearms Act required handgun manufacturers, importers and dealers to have a firearms license and defined a group of people, including convicted felons, that couldn't purchase guns. Which is nuts that until 1938, there wasn't any group of people that were restricted, like felons or anything like that. Right. Well, we had that weird loophole in the where we essentially said that slaves couldn't own guns, but felons could. So Interesting. Um, but then we have 1939 was really the most significant ruling that I could find uh, historically where the Supreme Court ruled in the United States v. Miller that there was no evidence that a sawed-off shotgun had some reasonable relationship to the prevention or efficacy of a well-regulated militia. And they said, therefore, they could not say that the Second Amendment guarantees the right to keep and bear such an instrument. 
And the reason why this is so significant is because it sets a precedent for how gun control would be treated for years to come. Instead of leaning on the side of an individual right to own a gun, they're leaning towards the side of a well-regulated militia. They're saying that that was the intent as opposed to an individual's right to own a gun. And also allowed them to kind of split hairs about which weapons you can and cannot have. Right. In 1968, following the assassinations of JFK, Senator Robert F. Kennedy, and Dr. Martin Luther King Jr., President Lyndon B. Johnson pushed for the passage of the Gun Control Act of 1968. The GCA repealed and replaced the FFA, updated Title II of the NFA to fix constitutional issues, and added language about, quote, destructive devices, bombs, mines, and grenades, and expanded the definition of a machine gun. Keep this one in the back of your brain. So 1968, the first time that they add federal language uh, around bombs, mines, and grenades, so something other than a gun. Overall, the bill banned importing guns that have no sporting purpose and imposed age restrictions for the purchase of handguns. Now you had to be 21 to do that. It prohibited felons, the mentally ill, and Others from purchasing guns required that all manufactured or imported guns have a serial number and imposed stricter licensing and regulation on the firearms industry. In 1976, Washington, D.C. bans handguns and requires registration of all rifles and shotguns. So we're clearly moving towards um, identification of all weapons and restricting certain weapons. Well, and it's funny, too, because you have countries like Japan and England where they're going after handguns and banning handguns, Washington, D.C., banning handguns. And then you have other countries and states that are going after the ownership of rifles. They're going in different directions with how they want to control it. So, like, which one is the right answer? As far as going after the small guns or the... Right, which one is going to reduce crime more? Is it going after handguns like they did in Washington, D.C., Japan, England, or is it going after the... Uh, semi-automatic weapons or rifles like Norway and uh, Australia, I think it was. I think both for sure. Yeah. So which, like, which one is the one that is going to actually curtail crime more? And is it different from country to country? I, I don't necessarily know. 1990, the Crime Control Act bans the manufacturing and importing of semi-automatic assault weapons in the United States. And this phrase you hear so often now, gun-free school zones are established. In 1993, the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act is named after White House Press Secretary James Brady, who was permanently disabled from an injury suffered during an attempt to assassinate Ronald Reagan. The law requires... that that guy just got out of prison, right? Uh, The guy who tried to assassinate Ronald Reagan? I didn't hear about that. 2022? uh, Either he just did or he is being released this year. Um, He served his full sentence and now he's getting out of prison. And I think he has like book tours. You know what? I have heard about that. Yeah. Yeah nuts um yeah that family reunion next thanksgiving would be an interesting (laughs) table talk conversation anyway the law requires that background checks be completed before a gun is purchased from a licensed dealer manufacturer or importer and establishes a five-day waiting period to buy a handgun i think that might be the first time we talked about waiting periods uh in the early 90s 1994 um there was an assault weapons ban uh, that expired in 2004 And then in 1997, with the strong backing of the NRA, the so-called Dickey Amendment effectively bars the CDC from studying firearm violence. What? That is absolutely nuts that you can get to a place where you're banning the study of something. I bet there is no portion of the citizenry that is interested in that. Well, and clearly this had to do with the gun lobby and the NRA kind of getting into this but this was something that was passed by president clinton a democrat right How about that this all kind of occurred under his watch and i can understand if you were trying to like defund it because you're saying like this isn't important or this isn't something that we need to look into because it's not an issue but essentially it's prohibiting the cdc from investigating gun crime which is so crazy i can't imagine anyone getting on a podium to defend that <laughs> with a straight face Nowadays, I guess, but like clearly somebody did at the time. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, so so then in 1997, the Supreme Court, in the case of Prince v. the United States, declares that background check requirements from the Brady Handgun Violence Prevention Act. Whew. Mouthfuls. They, they really need to come up with better names for these laws. <laughs> um, but they declared it unconstitutional. 
And then 1999, the Senate passes a bill requiring trigger locks on all newly manufactured handguns uh, and extended the waiting period for the background check uh, to sales uh, at gun shows. Starting with that um, 1997 reversal of the Brady Handgun Prevention Act, it seems like from here on out we're going to be reading flip-flopping back and forth between like tightening up gun control then going back yeah and that's like the partisan nature of what is going on in our country like one group gets in power and they flip it one direction and then another group gets in power and they flip it the opposite direction and what the thing that is supposed to level all of that out and iron it out is the supreme court who's supposed to set a precedent and say that laws should generally be within these certain guardrails from a constitutional perspective but as we can see here, uh, moving forward, you'll see that that's not necessarily the case. We're seeing ping pong back and forth. Then in 2005, the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act was signed by President Bush, preventing gun manufacturers from being named in federal and state civil suits by those who are victims of crimes involving guns made by that company. So that's pretty significant. That does seem like a slippery slope with any industry. I mean, unless there's a a malfunctioning product otherwise like to blame the company is a dangerous game i think yeah i can understand both sides of it but i guess i would lean towards not allowing you to sue the company because it's almost like uh where does that end exactly so then in 2008 uh bush also signs the national instant criminal background check improvement act requiring gun buyer background checks to screen for legally declared mentally ill individuals. So then uh, District of Columbia versus Heller in 2008, this is another very significant Supreme Court ruling where the Supreme Court affirmed that the Second Amendment guarantees the individual right to keep and bear arms for lawful uses in a five to four decision. They basically overturned the precedent set by Miller with the sawed off shotgun that we were talking about. They created a new precedent by saying that the Second Amendment creates a constitutionally guaranteed right for an individual to possess a gun. That's as recent as 2008, um, really creating the concept of the right to keep and bear arms that we know today. It seems everything up until then kind of kept the Second Amendment in ambiguity. Like as recent as that is, that really kind of sets it in stone that it's an individual's right. Which is amazing that it took that long for it to be codified. You would think that maybe maybe people just kind of accepted that as truth all along, but never it was never an explicitly spoken fact. And then now they're saying, like, we finally have to clarify and codify this because it had been so back and forth. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. And so, again, that clarifies that question in that Supreme Court ruling. Is it tied to a well-regulated militia? Or is it tied to an individual's right to own a gun? And in this 2008 decision, they're going the opposite of that decision prior. And they're saying this is the individual's right to own it. Um, and that was also further solidified in 2010, McDonald v. Chicago, where the Supreme Court affirmed through the 14th Amendment and the Fourth Amendment that people have the right to keep and bear arms regardless of their city or state. So this brings it from the federal level all the way down. They're saying... This should be applied at the state level as well for the purpose of self-defense. So that's where the, the 4th and 14th. So between the 2nd, 4th, and 14th Amendments from 2008 to 2010, we're saying this is an individual's right to own, keep and bear arms, own guns, car concealed carry. And in 2017, the Automatic Gunfire Prevention Act bans the sale and possession of bump stocks and other devices that allow a semi-automatic weapon to fire like a fully automatic and the Background Check Completion Act closed a loophole allowing a sale to go through after 72 hours, even if the background check wasn't complete. Seems like a pretty big loophole. <laughs> yeah. In 2022, in June of this year, the Supreme Court ruled a 6-3 to decision that New York's regulations that had made it difficult to obtain a license to carry a concealed handgun were actually unconstitutionally restrictive and that it should be easier to obtain such a license. The existing standard before required an applicant to show proper cause for seeking a license and allow New York officials to exercise discretion in determining whether a person has shown a good enough reason for needing to carry a firearm. Just simply stating one wished to protect themselves or their property was not enough. And that was kind of what you were talking about when you were talking about going to get your concealed carry permit. You could say, I want it for all lawful purposes, including defending my person. 
and the Supreme Court was saying that New York had this additional layer where you couldn't just say, I want it for self-defense or all off purposes. You had to give like an additional reason why you needed your concealed carry permit. And the Supreme Court said, nope, that's not applicable. As long as somebody wants to use it for lawful purposes and defend themselves or use it for sport or et cetera, then it's okay. All right, so now that we have a good baseline on the history of gun control, let's talk about the impact. Why does it matter? So guns actually became the leading cause of death in children ages 1 to 19, according to the CDC, which is kind of a big talking point right now. Obviously, that is terrible. Which is absolutely terrible. Um, and if we kind of take a step back and look at this from a pure statistics standpoint, so we're not factoring in any of the fact that this is absolutely terrible and disgusting. But if we're talking about 2020, because this is where this data came from, that was the year of COVID. So lockdowns, everybody's indoors, and gun deaths increased by about 30%. It's an astronomically high increase. Which makes sense because everyone is trapped in close quarters. If a household has a gun and more people are within proximity of guns because they're in their home, it makes sense that there was that jump. Doesn't make it any better, but I'm saying 2020 was a unique year where it became the leading cause of death. Would we see that data then drop back down uh, now that things are open and people aren't trapped indoors? We'll have to see on that. But the other stat uh, that to significantly change was that poisonings and accidental overdoses increased by 40% in children. And that makes sense. Again, same thing. Staying home increases the possibility of certain types of deaths over others. So our question is now, now that we have that data, what is driving this? What is making that change? Maybe it was COVID restrictions, maybe not. And what can we reasonably do to impact those numbers? How can we drive those numbers downward? Well, I don't have that answer, Ken, but it seems that banning AR-15s is a hot topic. This is an article from Jarvis Debery of MSNBC. He says, in the main, those children are not being killed by AR-15 style weapons, which means that restricting their sale to those 21 and older or even banning them outright will do little to save children's lives. I almost feel like either do it all the way or don't do it at all. Yeah, like, I don't see why restricting a certain type would, would be as helpful if we're going to do it. But then it takes you one step further where you're saying, okay, so if we're saying we want to ban all gun purchases uh, under the age of 21, why the heck would we even say that the age of an adult is 21? Like all of a sudden you're taking away all of the things that you can do when you turn 18. Like you can't drink, you can't purchase a firearm, you can't rent a car. Uh, you can't rent a hotel. So like what, what even can you do when you turn 18? I can guess you get fireworks? I don't, that's I don't it. Know. Celebrate with your fireworks <laughs> right. and wait another seven years before you can do anything else and move out of your parents' house. That's yeah. like basically it. Um, <laughs> with no way to protect yourself. Right. And if you can even afford it. All right. So let's start talking about what some people have to say about gun control coming from a social media perspective or kind of an anecdotal thing on social media. Somebody will say like, all of a sudden, everybody has a psychology degree or a degree in criminal justice or love um, that one. You know, they're an expert on guns. And that one, I, I don't like it because all it does is stifle conversation. It it doesn't accept the fact that a human being that doesn't have a credential or a certification or a doctorate can't think critically about something and just have a conversation about it, exchange ideas, debate. It's just so stifling and like it shuts conversation down as opposed to just listening to what they have to say. And you can disagree with it. Absolutely. But I don't know. That just well, I will like say, shuts it down. I will say the internet is a bad medium too because True. we're speaking in short quibs. And so even if you have an in-depth opinion that needs to be looked at, you're not going to get it out in a few sentences. Agreed. And every human being that I've talked to face-to-face, -face, not on social media, has something legitimate to say and can talk about it like a normal human being. So it's like just kind of unplugging from social media and having conversations with individual people. That's when you'll get like a normal take. Another one of those uh, social media things is the quote, my uterus is more regulated than guns or, you know, I wish my uterus had more rights than, uh, than a gun. You're touching I, the third rail, though, Ken, talking about uteruses as a, <laughs> as a man. Well, my my thing is don't be that guy or girl that is just taking two things that are completely unrelated and trying to tag them together especially Absolutely. in this case there are so many nuances to these different arguments 
And one, you're talking about a weapon and regulation of an inanimate object. And the other one, you're talking about... Reproductive care. You're talking about something that is tangentially medical, but also has to do with human beings, but also is like a social and religious thing. Um, And you're trying to take that and talk about, compare that to like crime and an object. So it's just so hard to compare those things. And then just like on base, there are about 20,000 gun-related laws in the United States and there are about 2,500 reproductive or abortion laws, most relating to pharmaceuticals. So not even actually having to do with like the contraception or uh, abortion themselves. So really, when you kind of drive it down, it's more like 500 laws. Um, <laughs> I guess you've really stomped out that phrase, Ken. It's Factually. just like I am totally cool with having a conversation where, uh, like, for instance, I, I like the conversation where somebody says, If you're anti-abortion, you should also be anti-gun because both of those things have the capacity to end a human life. Because at least that's philosophical and you can have a conversation where you're saying like, these are two things that are conceptual in nature. We need to kind of talk through these things and reconcile them. And maybe you come up with a reason why you can be anti-abortion, but also pro-gun. Or maybe, you know, you don't. But at least you're having that exchange when you're saying, you know, I wish my uterus had a, has had as many rights as a gun. Like, it's just a, it's a bad faith argument to me. And I'm not saying that anybody's right on either side. I'm just saying the argument itself is based on a precedent that doesn't make sense. I guess I'll say though, when people are holding up those signs at a rally or writing that as a, as a post on the internet as a meme, I guess they're not even really looking for an argument though. They're kind of stating their position and just maybe right. kind right. of just, uh, what is that? Not peacocking. Uh, <laughs> Maybe it is peacocking. I don't know. They're just signaling to their crowd. Right, right. But if if that is what they're saying, like, why don't they just state their position as opposed to taking two things and conflating two things that are completely unrelated? Absolutely. So um, back to gun control. Oh. Right. Well, Whoopsie. Uh, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy has a quote. Um, he's one of the first people that is on record saying anything after the Uvalde shooting. Let's listen to it. What are we doing? Just days after a shooter walked into a grocery store to gun down African-American patrons, we have another Sandy Hook on our hands. What are we doing? Our kids are living in fear every single time they set foot in a classroom because they think they're going to be next. What are we doing? This isn't inevitable. These kids weren't unlucky. This only happens in this country and nowhere else. Nowhere else do little kids go to school thinking that they might be shot that day. But I'm here on this floor to beg, to literally get down on my hands and knees and beg my colleagues. Find a path forward here. Work with us to find a way to pass laws that make this less likely. I understand my Republican colleagues will not agree to everything that I may support, but there is a common denominator that we can find. Yeah, that's tough. Um, it it definitely pulls on your heartstrings, no matter no matter what the content. Or it's um, you do feel compelled to want to do something in times like this. Um, I don't know, Ken. What do you think about it? It's obviously a very kind of visceral, um, guttural response to what's happening. It's emotional, um, and you know he's not referring to policies or statistics which frankly i don't think was the time for it right he was having an initial response to the events that had happened one thing that i really liked was kind of his appeal to the other side of the aisle where he was saying let's work together to find common ground let's find the things that we can agree on and maybe these things aren't going to solve things overnight but we can do something we can make an incremental change that will help so let's find out what that is and i've really liked that part of the discussion that he had and that kind of aged nicely because the result of these tragedies was uh, unifying at least enough to put something through this year right absolutely the one thing the nit that i have to pick is when he is talking about the this only happens in america and we talked about that in the first part of the episode was it's not something that is completely unique to america it's not the only it doesn't only happen in america again it's a a kind of a small nit to pick considering the grand scheme of things and i don't know about you but that makes me feel such a worse sense of desperation when it's like 
this is only happening here. Like our place is on fire and everyone else has it got it under control. What we have shown in this episode is that's not true at all. So not that we should sit back and say, well, we're fine, but at least we can feel reasonable about our predicament and make change. Right. You don't want to wallow in that helplessness in saying there's nothing that we can do because we're so bad. And I recognize that this is very much so more prominent in America. So it's something that we have to work through. But again, those semantics can be really important when having the broader conversation. So that was that was a really emotional quote. And then we kind of move on to after more time had passed from the initial incident, we have a quote by President Biden and he said this five times in slightly different ways, but let, let's listen to what he had to say. And I might add, the Second Amendment from the day it was passed limited the type of people who could own a gun and what type of weapon you could own. You couldn't buy a cannon. Never been, if you wanted to think you need to have weapons to take on the government, you need F-15s and maybe some nuclear weapons. The point is that it's always been the ability to limit, rationally limit the type of weapon that can be owned and who can own it. So we kind of have two things to react to here. Um, first is his assertion that you couldn't buy a cannon uh, when the Second Amendment was passed. And that's just factually not true, right? We mentioned earlier in the episode, we we delineated the time where the first uh, restrictions were made around those other types of firearms. And that was in the 1900s, essentially. 1930s. And, and even today, there are some instances where you can buy, not buy, but you can come into uh, possession of heavy artillery of some s- sources um, in very specific cases. It's like some like nautical ship rule <laughs> where like if you like commandeer a ship on you know, neutral grounds with something to do with wartime, like you can keep that boat with the cannons or something like that. It's something ridiculous. But We should look more into that, Ken. <laughs> but um, essentially, he's making this claim that at the time you couldn't buy cannons and it's just factually inaccurate. I think it's a I think it's an idea we all wish was were, was true. But yeah, it was over 200 years after the Second Amendment before we start deciding which weapons we can and can't have. Right. And he makes the statement that there were at the time, there were restrictions around who could or couldn't purchase guns. And he's speaking about this like it's a positive thing. <laughs> the The groups of people that couldn't purchase guns were literally slaves. They didn't have any other restrictions around who could or couldn't purchase guns. So like... To harken back on that time. Right. I don't think he's really realizing the disparity between the things that he's speaking to. Um, I don't but. think he knows who he's speaking to. <laughs> It was a little hard to listen to. And then his second point is around, he says that if you want to basically take on the government, we've got some F-15s and some nukes that you've got to deal with, which is, I I understand the premise of what he's saying, but at the same time, for a president to basically be like, we have F-15s and nukes and we'll use them on you if you come after us. He's basically dismissing our ability to do anything about our government when the first president's Loved that. And everything was based off of the idea that we could overthrow a bad government. And he's now laughing at that prospect. Fully, like fully just throwing, casting people to the side and being like, we've got you. Like, right. (laughs) Oh, so that, that one is, that one's genuinely a little bit unsettling. Uncomfortable. Um, Yeah. He has an authoritarian streak in him. Yeah. It's a little uncomfortable. Yeah. People talk about Trump being a fascist. Biden definitely has those tendencies in them for sure. Yeah. The next bit we have is a letter written by 21 Democrats to Nancy Pelosi about the omnibus gun control bill. So, while we wish every member of Congress in the House and Senate would join us in supporting all these bills, we know that it is not our current reality. And given the composition of the U.S. Congress, we know we must have bipartisan support for bills we want to become law. The letter says, as members of the majority party, we must make a good faith effort to invite our colleagues across the aisle to join us in debating the merits of each bill and in voting for each bill. I like the sound of that. Yeah, totally. I agree with every single word that's there. I just question whether or not they actually believe those words, which they did pass that uh, the bipartisan bill recently. So I guess there is definitely some um, some merit to them. It's just like, why are we saying this now and why weren't we saying this 100 years ago? If it's written to Pelosi, it makes me think, because in recent years, she seems to be very 
against the Republicans and not about finding a middle True. ground. And maybe this is her party writing to her saying, hey, th- it's probably a good idea that we meet them in the middle somewhere to work together to make I, actual I think change. Yeah, I think you're definitely right on that. Um, it That context definitely makes a lot of sense. Um, um, so we also have a quote from House Representative Billy Long uh, was asked in a radio interview if there was an appetite to advance gun control laws. And he responded that there are some solutions that they can pursue, but that, quote, something has happened to our society. I go back to abortion when we decided it was okay to murder kids in their mother's wombs. Life has no value to a lot of these folks. Dark. (laughs) Dark and like uh, this is the opposite of the uh, guns and uteruses argument that we talked about earlier. Sure. This is him taking something that has nothing to do with it. And he's just, he wants to talk about abortion. And so he's like throwing this out there and saying like, ever since we passed abortion laws, uh, gun violence has gone up. Like, which clearly we saw statistically that that doesn't have merit. And like, just answer the question. (laughs) It's evasive. He's trying to skirt the question. If you have no appetite for it, say you have no appetite for it. Okay. Like, it's just not a definitive thing. It's not a a proper argument. So it just doesn't really make much sense. In a similar vein, uh, Senator Ron Johnson blamed secularization, teaching wokeness and critical race theory. And Senator Ted Cruz blamed absent fathers, declining church attendance, social media and video games and added that uh, good guys with guns can stop bad guys with guns. Yeah, I mean honestly to give some credit to Ted Cruz like I feel like there is evidence that shows you know broken families or absent fathers and the video game aspect there there's some real merit to that actually yeah this is like the first generation I feel that has been fully immersed in a generation growing up playing first person shooters and like we said in the in part 1 about having social contagions in a hive mind if you're watching that on screen, we emulate what we see. It doesn't seem too complex. And it does <laughs> uh, normalize it as you're exposed to it. And they, we even have video games now. There was that Call of Duty game a few years back where you could play as someone that was taking part in a terrorist activity and you're playing as the person that's shooting people in an airport. What the heck are um, we doing? That's crazy. So nuts. But yeah, so like, uh, like you were saying, he's talking about like, absent fathers and we definitely know that absent fathers statistically is tied to propensity for violent crime among Um, other terrible things yeah so like i think ted cruz's comment is interlaced with some type of uh, statistical backup but the ron johnson where he's talking about teaching wokeness and critical race theory there is nothing concrete there at all yeah like there's no studies that are proving that there's no statistics that are proving it out he's just again like there is such a commitment to politicians just saying buzzwords because it's things that are like speaking to their particular party base. Critical race theory, wokeness, secularization. These are things that they're just spouting out in order to hype up their party as opposed to having a, a regular common discussion around policy and trying to get to the right answer. And as a result, all their people say, yeah, that's I agree. And I feel like we've been having these basic nothing discussions for so long that it has almost diminished people's capability to have a true debate or discussion because things have devolved for so long to the limited character amounts of tweets or whatever like yeah things have gotten to just tiny little snippets so like there are so many people that i almost feel like just aren't capable of having a true discussion anymore all right and so we have a uh, a quote from matthew mcconaughey and so was he speaking to Congress? I think it was uh, the White House had invited him to make a statement. So he wasn't making a, a uh, it wasn't in front of Congress, but it was like a press briefing. That yes. he was Speaking at. Um, so let's listen to what Matthew McConaughey had to say. Families of the deceased, mothers, fathers, sisters, brothers, Texas Rangers, hunters, Border Patrol and responsible gun owners who won't give up their Second Amendment right to bear arms. And you know what they all said? We want secure and safe schools and we want gun laws that won't make it so easy for the bad guys to get these damn guns. We need to invest in mental health care. We need safer schools. We need to restrain sensationalized media coverage. We need to restore our family values. We need to restore our American values. We need background checks. We need to raise the minimum age to purchase an AR-15 rifle to 21. 
We need a waiting period for those rifles. We need red flag laws and consequences for those who abuse them. Responsible gun owners are fed up with the Second Amendment being abused and hijacked by some deranged individuals. Uh, off the bat, that, I mean, I think almost everybody would agree with his what he's saying. Um, Directionally. Di- yeah, yeah. And unless outside of the clip we heard, he was putting down maybe Republicans or putting down some type of people for blocking progress. Otherwise, it didn't seem too divisive or problematic at all. Well, and he actually wrote an op-ed that he was saying that he was arguing for responsible gun ownership and didn't want to diminish the rights of gun owners. So I feel like he is actually pretty, I would say, centrist on this. Yeah, Um, yeah, even-handed. So, yeah. And actually, there was a, a Newsmax reporter that immediately after that asked him, if he was grandstanding and I almost feel like that is the ridiculous thing that happened, like not the quote itself. Like that's not the thing that we have to reel in. It's the fact that like people can't even state their own beliefs or concepts or argue their particular point without the other side being like, well, clearly you're just grandstanding and, you know, trying to get in front of cameras and whatever. It's like, come on. Like I remember listening to Ben Shapiro the next day after McConaughey made that quote and uh, he de- devoted a whole little section of his podcast to hate on Hollywood weighing in on America and what was McConaughey doing there at the White House. And it's like, all right, I, that's your stick. But I mean, that wasn't too inflammatory. I don't think it's worth wasting your time putting McConaughey's quote down. Yeah. And I'm I'm like one of the first people to be like. I don't want uh, people in Hollywood to weigh in on politics. Like, right. definitely. Like, I Agreed. I am all about that. Like, if you don't have something that is constructive to contribute to the discussion, just stay out of it altogether. But what a he, great but rule. He, but he is from that town, and I think that's why he got involved in the discussion. That's his hometown. So to me, that's enough reason for him to speak up and get involved in the discussion, whereas you have other Hollywood figureheads that are getting involved in discussions that they have nothing to do with. And that's when I'm like, okay, stay out of it. Like, I don't want to hear what you have to say. In this case, he had a connecting thread. And so I actually respect his involvement in the discussion. I concur. Um, So we have an article that was written by Michael Fanone, a contributor to CNN. And this guy is a former cop, gun owner. He owns an AR-15. He's a member of the NRA, was previously a salesman in small and large gun shops. And so, you know, this is kind of this CNN contributor that you're saying, hey, he has all of this exposure to guns. He is reasonably pro-gun. And his position is that he wants AR-15s banned. Uh, Basically, he's saying that the guns are too powerful. They're more powerful than the guns that cops carry. And there's no need for civilian ownership. And he said that whenever he asks people who want to own an AR-15 why they would want to own it, he says that he never gets a good response. And the most common argument is that they need it to be effective in the case of government tyranny or oppression, and they need to be able to defend themselves. And he says the reality of the matter is that they just want to own one. Um, But what I wanted to kind of hark on here is... At a particular point in the article, he says the bullet that comes out of the barrel of an AR-15 style semi-automatic rifle can easily penetrate the target. The intruder or whatever person you're using deadly force to defend yourself or others from, but it will also go through the wall behind that person and potentially through that room and into the next wall. That power and accuracy are useful for military purposes, which is obviously what they are designed for, but it's far more powerful than should ever be in the hands of the average civilian. I would be surprised that an AR-15, M16, M4 bullet would penetrate a person, a wall, and then maybe the next wall. I (laughs) don't know, but that sounds crazy. So funny that you say that. So I had the same exact reaction. So I'm listening to what, or rather I'm reading this article and I'm like, wait, this doesn't make sense to me and it is completely against what my understanding is. Now remember, Andrew and I, self-assessment we gave ourselves fives and sixes or toast right right in the middle okay and this guy is supposed to be like you know the top gun the the guy who knows everything about guns and he's saying this quote and so i decided to look into it right because (laughs) i initially was like hey no this doesn't make sense the bullet from a nine millimeter handgun would be far more likely to penetrate a person and things behind it whereas an ar-15 bullet the rounds are 223 rounds that do come out at a higher speed, 
but they tend to tumble and fragment on the first target that they hit. So I immediately thought to myself like, hey, this really doesn't really make sense. Let me look into it. It literally took me about five minutes. I, I found videos of people testing out different guns, gun rounds, um, and they had ballistics gels and they built their own walls and et cetera. And it took me five minutes to realize that what this guy is saying, completely not true, like not even a little bit true. Almost any other type of round and gun would be more likely to penetrate and completely going through. So it's just one of those things where like, yes, AR-15s can hit targets that are from further away and greater accuracy, but most school shootings happen at closer range. The real danger in that is that the rounds typically tumble and fragment once they hit their intended target. And so the damage to the internal organs and the exit wound are typically more intense than you would get from a typical nine millimeter round, which was is way more likely to pass through their target, um, the wall behind it and, you know, the wall behind that. So the reality of it is the type of ammo that is used is way more impactful than the gun itself and the speed at which the bullet leaves the gun. And to be clear, I have absolutely no skin in the game and I don't care. I don't own an AR-15. I don't care if they ban them or not, right? From a personal perspective. However, the concern to me is that this comment completely, in my view, delegitimizes this guy who is supposed to be an expert. Like either CNN can't find anybody that can explain it more factually because this guy either doesn't know what he's supposed to know or he is making a statement that he knows is false. And so anybody who knows anything about guns, anybody who's a, a four or above on our sliding scale is going to listen to this and be like, CNN is lying to us. And it completely just disintegrates the discussion altogether. It's so infuriating because then you're right. The knowledgeable people on the other side of the aisle will shut off that channel and that's the end of it. They'll go do something else because we're either being lied to or they're ignorant and their ignorance or maliciousness cause a stalemate. There's no progress to be made. And and then he, you know, comes forth and he says, like, even if we don't ban an AR-15, maybe we make an AR-15 a class three firearm, which means that it goes through an extra set of fingerprinting background checks and it makes the process to purchase it take anywhere between 12 and 16 months, and it can't be purchased by anyone younger than 21. So that to me seems like a, a reasonable argument or a reasonable policy to enact. But guess what? Nobody is listening to that one because they can't get past the fact that you're lying to them or you're, you're not credible enough in order to make that argument. And I still, for the life of me, don't understand why we're harping on AR-15s when the data we previously laid out shows that handguns are more destructive and not more destructive, but people use them to cause more violence. It just, it doesn't make any sense. And at the same time too, right? So another thing that I thought of is everybody's talking about banning AR-15s as though AR-15s is like any rifle, you know? It's just one model. It is one model out of dozens and dozens and dozens of guns that act in almost the exact same type of way like a mini Ruger 14 or a Sig Sauer MCX, it handles and operates so similarly and uses the same type of ammo, but wouldn't be covered under a ban that is specific to AR-15s. And even if you did ban those three guns, gun manufacturers can just make a model of rifle that has one different piece in it, and they call it the AR-16, and now it can be sold again. What a waking so, nightmare. So, like, let's have a conversation around the correct policy. Let's not talk about banning AR-15s. If you want to ban all uh, semi-automatic rifles, then just have that conversation. But I think the reason why they're talking about AR-15s is they're trying to make the conversation something that would be palpable at the beginning um, because I think if they start talking about semi-automatic weapons altogether, it's going to have this firestorm effect where people are going to go against it. So they're trying to focus on this one gun and then at kind of the last second, they'll be like, well, let's include all of these other ones. So maybe that's an interesting hypothesis. But like have the right conversation. Don't, you know, it delegitimizes a conversation when you don't know what you're talking about. It almost makes me think that these conversations are built to 
fizzle out quickly before anything can be done, right? It's so confusing and it's it's a mis it's misleading. So by the time we hash it all out and both sides argue about it because it's a fake argument in the first place, we're already on to the next thing and then nothing really can be changed. It's true grandstanding. Yeah. <laughs> it's what grandstanding actually is, making an argument just for the sake of having people see you make that argument as opposed to trying to enact any type of legitimate change. All right, now we have a quote from Jesse Waters of Fox News. Let's listen. If history is any indication, he's going to attack the Second Amendment and say, dear, don't wear Kevlar vests. What we don't expect to hear much about tonight is violence in America's inner cities. Most of the mass shootings take place with handguns in urban America. But Biden doesn't care. If he did, he'd talk about it. According to the FBI's latest data, in 2020, there were more than 8,000 murders using handguns. But for some reason, Joe Biden won't talk about that. The gangs shooting at each other in the south side of Chicago aren't using AR-15s. Pretending violence isn't real leaves more innocent people dead. And tightening gun laws just means the only people who can get guns are criminals. All right, so what do you think? Um, I mean, Biden, everything Biden says is just fodder to be torn apart. Um, and yeah, it is weird that Biden doesn't talk about handguns, or I don't know if he hasn't, but it seems like that's absolutely not the conversation. It's auto, semi-automatic weapons and AR-15s. And so, I mean, that Jesse Waters guy is real smug to me, but I think he makes a good point that, and that's kind of what we're trying to talk about, that we're just doing pieces of the conversation or we're, you know, incorrectly talking about what is happening. So, And I think that's basically Everybody, Republicans and Democrats, aren't really talking about getting rid of handguns or banning handguns. And we have some countries like Japan and the UK that are, you know, limiting or banning handguns. Um, and their violent crime via gun seems to be, you know, dipping significantly. Yeah, that's completely absent here. Right. Yeah. So so maybe Jesse Waters has a point uh, with that. But I think the the real concern that I have is the fact that he is deliberately being divisive. He's attacking Joe Biden. He's saying um, he doesn't know, care. He's saying he doesn't care, which yeah. to me, if you want to be able to have a good dialogue around this, you have to not attack individuals um, intent. Like, right. do I personally think that Joe Biden doesn't care about people dying from handguns? I would personally say, no, I like to think that people across the board are trying to help scenarios and have less people get killed. So I wouldn't attack people personally, but absolutely go after the policies themselves and say, you know, the policies that Biden supports aren't going to work, which he does do. But I think it's just having that nuanced conversation. But I think, you know, he's part of a news channel that he's trying to get viewers and he's intentionally being inflammatory. They're doing the opposite of reeling it in. <laughs> right, exactly. Reeling it out. <laughs> um, so we have another quote by Joe Manchin, so we can listen to that one. We can do something that would have prevented this, raising the age, mm -hmm. making sure that the age at least gives us a chance to work with that person, see and evaluate and, and have a little maturity to them. And the second thing is that... Uh, uh, that we know that the red flag laws do work as long as there's due process. So you think raising the age from 18 to 21 for all gun purchases? Well, that's it's, it's where it is everything except for rifles and long run, long guns right now, or if it's just for these high-capacity high weapons. Mm -hmm. uh, whatever they want to do, I'm open to doing something that makes sense. Why do you think people even need an AR-15? Do people need I one? Know. I mean, you have to ask the people that do. I, I never thought I had a need for that type of a high-capacity high automatic weapon. If you just hear about Senator Joe Manchin from the Democratic side, he is a terrible guy that is thwarting everything that they're trying to do, which seemingly can be true. But every time I actually hear him speak, it resonates. I feel like he's very uh, even keeled with his opinions. Right. And even that second section where he was like, do you think they need AR-15s? He's like, let me tell you what I think about it. I'm not going to speak for anybody else. He's like, I haven't had a need for it, but you'd have to ask other people. Like, He's not making a decree of saying nobody needs an AR-15 or there's no reason for it, or he's not trying to project his opinion on others. He's saying, I've never really had a need for it, but I'm not going to make a statement like that. Um, I also like the fact that he, the reporter had initially asked the question, 
specific to AR-15s. And he kind of guided the discussion to say, like, if we're going to do it for AR-15s, like, let's raise the age for all guns because it and I agree with that. It just makes sense. Like, if you're going to make that that uh, delineation for one type of gun, it just kind of makes sense to make that delineation for all of them. Like, just do it across the board. Yeah, do, he, it, do it or don't do it. You know? Yeah, he immediately pivoted to policy changes that would be helpful right. as opposed to just speaking on the buzzwords of AR-15s. Um, and so we have another quote by Steve Scalise, who is a House representative that was actually the victim of gun violence. It was an extremist that took aim at a congressional softball game. And so he was actually shot. And so we have a quote from him. So let's take a listen to that. I go back to September 11th. Airplanes were used that day as the weapon to kill thousands of people and to inflict terror on our country. There wasn't a conversation about banning airplanes. There was a conversation about connecting the dots. How can we try to figure out if there are signs we can see to stop the next attack from happening? My first reaction was to roll my eyes when he brought in the airplane thing. But there is some real merit to that. Um, And he got shot by a crazy person with a gun. So for him to say it's not the guns, it's some other root cause, that's, that's impressive to me. Yeah, and you can dive into kind of the nuance of saying like, okay, so they didn't ban airplanes, but they did enact additional regulations in order to kind of streamline airplanes. They said, you know, the cockpit was getting locked, firearms weren't uh, allowed to be brought onto the planes. Now they said knives can't be. So like there were all these nuanced things that they did around planes. Yes, they didn't ban them altogether, but they significantly restricted what you could do on a plane. So if you translate that over to guns, maybe we're talking about the nuances of things that we try to accomplish in order to make gun ownership safer without banning the gun altogether. Maybe that's the conversation that we have. Yeah, it's hard to see what he was trying to say there. Is he trying to say it's a moot point to to try to ban or restrict or create policy to to make guns safer? Is I don't know if that's what he was saying by being inflammatory with nine eleven. Um, because otherwise, Ken, you make you literally nail that argument. Yes, we do make the same kind of reaction when things go horribly wrong. Is we try to identify what it is and tighten up the policies around it. Yeah, I completely agree with that, actually, because it's you're essentially saying if you strip away his reference to 9-11 altogether, what he's advocating is saying um, don't ban things altogether or outright. Look at the root causes of what's happening and address those root causes. And then, you know, I'm layering my own take on this, but saying so let's look at the root causes in and of themselves and then enact policies in order to address the nuances without banning altogether. And I think that's a reasonable, responsible take. Let's just like wipe out his reference to 9-11 and then, you know, it all kind of makes sense. Okay, um, one more quote. This last one here is from Prime Minister Justin Trudeau of Canada. Let's hear it. And we have a, a, a culture where the difference is guns can be used for hunting or for sport shooting in Canada. And there are lots of gun owners and they're mostly law respecting and, and, and law abiding. But you can't use a gun for self-protection in Canada. That's not a right that you have in the Constitution or anywhere else. If you try and buy a gun, you say it's for self-protection. No, you don't get that. You get it for hunting. You can get it for sports shooting. Take it to the range. Uh, no problem as long as you go through our rigorous background checks. Okay, so I don't know. Maybe I am super indoctrinated with my American way of thinking. But if guns do exist, which they do, it seems the most important reason to have one is to defend oneself property family possessions whatever but like i said i don't maybe the rest of the world doesn't think like that but it just just absolutely seems like common sense to me that that's what they're for well and we talked about this in part one if you want to get a gun to defend yourself you can just say i want this gun for sport and like this is this only has to do with the semantics of what people say when they go to get a firearm you're right and so it's just strange. Like, I guess he made a reference to like the culture around it and sure. Okay. But realistically, anyone who wants a gun for self-defense just applies for it and says that they want it for hunting or sport and they still get it. So there's no way of, it's not actually limiting people getting guns. It's just like a paperwork difference. So you look good to, yeah, the yeah. rest of the world. I yeah. guess. I don't know. 
All right, so we have our winner of the Centrifugal Farce Award for this show. The Centrifugal Farce Award goes to Sonny Hostin from The View. And we want to make a caveat to this. The things that are said on The View so frequently could be used as the Centrifugal Farce Award winner. So we promise to not constantly use them in this in this section. And also, second fold, if you are getting any type of political leanings or views or news or information from The View, please find another outlet. <laughs> it doesn't have to be us, but you need to radically think about what you're ingesting. Right. So all that being said, let us listen to what Sonny Hosting had to say. On a major news channel on every day <laughs> about guns. The solution here is, as Whoopi has said, all Not week, a minor solution. get the AR-15s off the planet, really, in my view. Right. And just, and, and just get rid of, um, you know, bump stocks, get rid of these weapons of war. And it's not going to happen with Republicans in power. So I'm now with you, Joy. Uh -huh. Get rid of Republicans. Get rid of the party. Um, the party as it stands now, because it's the party of white supremacy. It's the party of insurrectionists. It's the party of, of uh, massacres at this point. It's the party that you just, it, you can't trust. Well, can I All right, so. Ding, ding, ding. <laughs> <laughs> we have a winner. Wow. Let's is... wipe out half the population first. Right. Well, at this point, we're not even talking about what we do with guns. She is advocating for eliminating. I don't know if she means like get rid of the political infrastructure of the party itself. Like, does she not even realize that she is then saying you need to eliminate half the population? Well, because they're massacres and <laughs> other horrendous things. Right. She... Like, the people aren't going to change their views if you eliminate the infrastructure of the party. So the only way for her to enact her her policy <laughs> is to get rid of people, to off them, to disappear them. Like Because they are evil. Because they disagree with her. Disappear people because they disagree with her. Absolutely nuts. Uh, yeah, I don't even know if I can review it with, with a straight face. It's just, it's so sad and... I, I do wonder who's sitting at home listening to those women on The View. It is preposterous. Well, in, in shame on... Like, I feel like I'm talking to my, you know, three-year-old or five-year-old. Like, shame on her. I don't know. That's... I, I'm actually at a loss. Like, I'm trying to speak to this, and I just feel myself trailing off because I'm thinking of the ridiculous things that she said. The party of massacres. The party of... I can't even remember the other I ones. Just, there were so uh, many. I, I will say, though, I, I don't know if this is wrong, but... Uh, I think they've been found out on The View a few times to have pre-gamed before the show. And I almost <laughs> want to attribute that kind of speaking to you're probably half in the bag I with some of your sherry. So. Yeah, there's no other way around it. She but was drunk. It, she gets a pass. But how did it get past the editors? Because this was a comment that had to get past the editors and allow it to be broadcast on television. So this made it through all the checks and balances. Yes, it came out of her mouth. And who knows if she was half drunk when she said it. But then... There were many checks and balances that it got past, and they were like, "Yeah, let this fly. Let this let this go on the airwaves." Where she's saying, "Let's eliminate half the population." They're the epitome of why Realtin needs to exist because their ratings are one hundred and ten percent based on inflammatory anger. There's no way anyone is listening to that level headed. And she says, "Let's make bump stocks illegal." Newsflash: they are illegal and have been for years. And then there's this funny dichotomy, too, where they're talking, they, they talk all the time about how Trump is a fascist and is so controlling and authoritarian, and his policies are just so controlling and ridiculous, and they just made the most fascist comment I've heard in a long time. If people don't agree with you, eliminate their party so that you have single party control and essentially eliminate all of the people in it, too. Because they all want massacres. like, And then we wouldn't have to do gun control episodes anymore. It'd be solved. <laughs> right. Everything would be solved. Yeah. Uh, so congratulations, uh, Sonny Hostin. You're the Centrifugal Farce Award winner for this show. Um, and we will also make the caveat, it just so happened that we did pick two quotes from Democrats, two shows in a row. This was not intentional. We happened to stumble across two quotes 
uh, two times in a row where our jaw dropped because it was the preposterous thing that was said. But one thing that we kind of realized is with uh, Democrats being in control of the, you know, the White House, Congress, and um, just kind of generally having that platform to speak, there is more content out there for us to go through. We're not specifically trying to pick one party or the other. There's just sometimes the quote that happens and both times we unequivocally were like, yep, this has to be the one. Well, it, but we will definitely try to be as even-handed as possible, and that's our goal anyway. All right, so clearly America has a lot to sort through when it comes to gun control. Hopefully we can continue to find some common sense, effective solutions that will limit gun violence, but also preserve our personal freedoms. And the only way to do that is to continue to have reasonable, constructive discussions and use accurate, reliable data. That's all we've got for now, so let us know what you thought. Leaving reviews on any of the major podcasting platforms is a huge help because that's how the platforms determine what shows pop up in user searches. So any reviews are appreciated. Also, get in touch with us via Twitter at Podcast or email us at therealitinpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time. Bye, everyone.